the axe of the blood god. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey, and with me today is my co-host, Naughty Oxford. It's just the two of us. It is. Yep, it's just the two of us back to normal after kind of a crazy July. And we're going to be talking this week about, well, a lot of things, actually, because we're kind of hitting that last week before the storm. It's kind of the calm before the storm. Indeed. Yeah, we, we were lucky enough to be able to relax a little bit over July, catch up on some games that we kind of missed. Um, I played a lot of Pocket Card Jockey over July, Nadia. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm not surprised. That stuff's pretty addictive, isn't it? Were we talking about this on a podcast or video or something? We mentioned it briefly last week. Um, oh, did men- we? Yeah, because you mentioned you had like Pony Boy, uh, not Pony Boy. Uh, Rapidash King. Rapidash King. That's it. <laughs> yeah, that was so awesome. Ugh, I haven't had a time. I haven't had a chance to play uh, much Pocket Card Jockey since, but it's definitely been at the back of my mind. And I don't know. I'm pretty sure it's my game of the year right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely getting a mention on my end of the year list. I, I oh, for sure. Yeah, but. Uh, you should definitely check that out if you haven't. But we're going to talk a little bit about what we've been playing. We're going to talk a little bit about the ongoing mess that is Pokemon Go and whether or not Game Freak and Nintendo should maybe take a greater hand in this. Mm-hmm. And we're going to finish with the lesser-known RPGs. Like, I, I want to hear your pitches. I want to hear your pitches for the lesser-known RPGs that everybody should be playing. So we'll read a few um, tweets from that and discuss it. But... Yeah, let's get started. Uh, Nadia, you've been playing a little RPG that is fairly well known to a small set of fans, but isn't known, especially well known to the greater RPG audience, and that's Ease, Oath, and Falgana. So, and you said you're almost done with it. So I'm kind of curious, like, is this your first time? And like, what do you think? Uh, It's actually not my first Ease game. My first was... um... Uh, E6, Arc of whatever it was called. The, the thing about the Arc E's of game, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I love the E's games that I've played so far, but they always have these crazy subtitles. Um, yeah, uh, I am a big fan of both the games that I have played, which was Six and Oath and Felgana. And um, they're very, very... When they say it's an action RPG, they are not joking about the action part. Uh, it is a very fast-paced, very challenging RPG, and I really enjoyed my time with it. Uh, I'm not quite done, but I am definitely getting there. They're not extremely long games. Um, but uh, the E-Series, as I mentioned, in, I think in our, our Power Poll or one of our community uh, questions, it, it's a series I want to get caught up on if possible. It's always always been in the back of my mind, even when I was a kid. It, it, to me, it was always one of those things that the Sega kids played, <laughs> and I was like the Nintendo kid, so I was just like, uh, I'm going to stick to Final Fantasy for now. Uh, well, Ease your... 1 and 2 was on, like, every platform ever, though. Yeah, especially now. Um, yeah. But, uh... Even back then, though, like, it felt like it was being ported to yeah, everything. Yeah, it's funny, because I was looking back, and it's like, um... I, I saw it was on, like, Nintendo and Super Nintendo and everything, and yet it never really made a huge impact in North America, I think, especially no. compared to Europe. I know Europe, it was just, it was pretty huge. Well, and... it's I think it's because it was an RPG, and... We had a weird name, <laughs> and uh, I, I guess just like it didn't make a huge impact on Americans over here playing on like the Super Nintendo because, as we all know, RPGs still had a bit of a stigma back then. Yeah, absolutely. But um, 
I think it was a PC RPG at that. Um, it was designed with the PC in mind. So it yeah. was being ported to all these consoles. But Yeah, and given how Europe, uh, they, they tended to be more PC heavy in the first place. Um, that was probably a factor. Yeah, a little more. Yeah, no, that's not actually. And you mentioned that you always saw them as a Sega kid thing. Well, Sega is yeah. definitely a lot more prevalent in Europe. Yeah, that's very true. But uh, have you played any of the the East games? I have actually. Um, I played E Seven was actually my first. I haven't played um, it yet. Oh, you should play it. It's actually it's pretty good. Um, I forget if you can get it on the PlayStation Store for the Vita right now. Mm-hmm. If not, it's a shame because it was a PC, PSP game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was it was a little bit of a departure uh, from other East games um, mm-hmm. because. Uh, most ease games have you playing as only one character like yes. um the main character who's in every game yeah adol uh who goes on adventures across the land and he has his friends and everything but in e7 you could have a party of three. Oh, really yeah it was a party it was a party-based action rpg and it actually worked pretty well mm-hmm and like most ease games, um, it had a great art. It had a fantastic soundtrack, and yeah, I'll, uh, I'll I'll drop in a little bit of music from the ease games a little bit later. But it it jumped out at me primarily for the soundtrack. The combat was just okay. It was better than Kingdom Hearts. It was more tactical than that. You could have yeah. just hack and slash your way through it. But um, and the monsters were a lot of fun. I remember that. A lot of hardcore Ease fans back in the day were pretty hard on it because they perceived it to be too easy. Yeah, I yeah, I could see that being a criticism uh, because uh, Ease players, from what I can tell, they really chal- they really cherish their challenge. Yeah, oh, oh, and old school fans of any series will always gripe that the newer entries are too easy. Yeah, it's, too watered. It's down. pretty much, or it's too hard. Yeah, <laughs> there's no such thing as a proper medium. No, and it's really the ones is. who complain the most are usually the hardcore fans who pl- have played for hundreds of hours and know the game backward and forward and go, "Well, now it's too easy." Yeah, <laughs> you can't have it all ways, guys. Absolutely not. I mean, I said this is a totally a digression, but I've I've played like a hundred hours every year of Madden for like six years now, mm-hmm. and at this point, I'm like, oh, "It's too easy," and like I can beat the computer with one arm tied behind my back. <laughs> Whereas, like, six years ago, it would have been, like, I couldn't even win a game against the computer, so... I don't even uh, know the rules of football. Yeah, you definitely... It's one of those things where you play a game so much that you become a one percenter without even knowing it. Yeah. <laughs> um, in terms of the fandom, and you know yeah. it inside and out, and it becomes easy. Like, people saying, well, Dark Souls is easy now. It's like, uh... I uh, know. <laughs> no, not really, but... <laughs> Actually, no. that was that was totally a straw man. I don't know anybody who actually says that Dark Souls is easy now. But... I've seen people say it, but I don't know anyone who personally who says that. Yeah, well, even the hardcore fans will say things like the Nameless King is actually still really freaking hard in mm-hmm. Dark Souls Three. Like nobody would, nobody would go, "Oh no, it's like for babies now." <laughs> Though there are people waiting in the wings to do that. Of I course. guarantee it. There's totally people waiting in the wings to do that. But Oath of Felgana, um, I only played a bit of it Mm -hmm. um i played a bit of it when it came out on the psp and a bit of it again when it came out on the pc and i once again i was impressed by the the soundtrack and 
I liked the the more traditionalist approach. I liked having only one character. It felt almost like a Zelda game in some respects. Yeah, it's very Zelda, but whereas uh, Zelda is more focused on puzzles, Ease is more focused a little bit on combat. Yeah, and I, I'm actually okay with that because yeah, I don't like puzzles. I hate puzzles. <laughs> yeah, I, when it comes to if I if I'm given a choice between swinging a sword and pushing boxes, I'm going to go with the sword. Oh, absolutely. Um, so, so, so what? are kind of your favorite aspects of Oath and Felgana, I'm out, of, out of curiosity. Well, as you mentioned, the soundtrack is pretty awesome. Uh, although, the strange thing about the soundtrack is that it, even though it's very good, a lot of the tunes don't fit. It's, it, there's a lot of hard rock going on in these like kind of uh, like snowy mountains and nice forests and whatnot. So that's a little odd, but uh, it's still very nice to listen to, so, so no major complaints there. Uh, beyond that, um, I like the action. I like how fast-paced it is. I like how satisfying it is. There's like later in the game, you get a hold of like spells and stuff that you can really wallop your enemies with. The bosses are pretty challenging, uh, and I just like the character Adol. I think he's. I know he's like kind of a cipher, but he's a fun cipher. Yeah, he is. My recollection of Adol is that he's kind of your typical hot-blooded, red-haired hero. He's not even hot blooded. He just—he's just a dude who does things. <laughs> yeah, dude who does things. He, he's like, Adol, can you help me with this? Uh, putting this high, this thing on a high shelf. Yeah, sure. And then, like, when he talks, he doesn't really talk, but he—he he kind of uh, explains the situation in third person. You know what I mean? Like, uh, he'll meet a character, and the character will say, "Hey, what's up?" And then it'll say in like blue text, "Adol, explain the situation up until that point." <laughs> I always love it when that happens in games. Yeah, and I remember losing a guy who had the same thing going on, except they couldn't decide when to do it and when not to, so it was very inconsistent, but uh, Ease is very consistent about it. Yes, absolutely. Um, have you had, in- now that you've played Oath and Felgana, like, are you any, are you interested in maybe p- p- picking up memories and, memories of, is it Calcutta or Celseda? Yeah, or- I'd like to try that one next. Is that, yeah. uh, is that a numbered game? Um, is that seven or is that? Uh- I don't think it's numbered. Okay, because some of them are numbers, some of them aren't. But that doesn't even necessarily matter because no, Oath and Felgana is not numbered either. No, they're all very self-contained from what I've played so far. Uh, yeah. Adol goes to a new place, say he makes some friends, he saves the day, and he moves on. The and numbering, okay. The numbering is actually kind of, um, kind of complicated in the series because there's some remakes in there as yeah, well. No kidding. Is Oath and Felgana a remake? I can't remember. God. I don't think so, but uh, there are like 50 million remakes. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, it's on every platform ever, even mobile. Yeah, I'm. I'm kind of. I know that. So, Oath and Felgana is on Steam. I'm kind of curious, like, what other Ease games ended up making it over to the PC. Uh, it but, seems like most of them, most of the modern ones, at least have the ones that have been on Vita and um, PSP. Most of those are on there. Oh, that's good, at least. Yeah. So if you ha- kind of missed out on Ease, um, you can always play it on PC um, or Vita. Um, beyond that, uh, it's unfortunate that the Ease series hasn't really made it to a console like the PlayStation 4. I agree. I'd really like to see it go into consoles. Um, from what I've uh, played of Ease and talked about it and, and talked to the community, community uh, it's a very dedicated community. Yes, absolutely. So, okay, so they have... Ease Oath and Felgana, Ease Origin, Ease Six, The Arc of Napa Stim. Something like that. Uh, Ease One and Two Chronicles Plus. Um, and that's actually 
that's actually it. But still, that's a fair amount of ease right there. Do they not have the uh, Celeste, uh, Celetica or whatever we call it? Uh, memories of Calcutta? Yeah. Uh, say Memories no. of Calcutta. <laughs> is it Celsada? Calcutta? It? Something like that. And that's not on there? Oh. No. I've forgotten about E's origin. That's the prequel before E's 1 and 2. Right. Okay. Yeah. I, I remember when that came out. And that was also pretty good. Um yeah. And that was a big deal because that was kind of their debut on the PC. Oh, okay. And I was like, oh, yeah, I really love playing this on the PC. And that, and, and this was 2012 when like our JRPGs were not like yeah. a thing on Steam yet. Yeah. So like having it on there was like awesome. Yeah. But okay, well, I have been trying to get back into Witcher 3. Mm-hmm. And, um, with mixed success <laughs> uh i've done a bunch of i've done a bunch of the 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 main story quests and i've ridden around on my horse and i've marveled at how beautiful the world is and um so last night uh my my partner was out and i had the house to myself and i was like ah great i'm gonna play some witcher 3 and i'm gonna totally like make a real dent in this game before I have to pick up some more RPGs, like, mm-hmm. or before I have to pick up some other games and I get distracted again. And I was playing a quest where um, there's a baby. And, <laughs> oh, well, okay, this, mo- this baby was stillborn and buried and oh, comes dear. back to life as, oh, like, gosh. this monster, like... Uh, that's called a oh a botchling, and botchlings oh, yeah. are like real real gross. Um, yeah, they would be. Yeah, and and there's and then the next scene is like you escorting the uh, would be father of this thing uh, while he has to carry it in his arms, and you have to calm it down with um, your spells, or else it'll eat his face. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh, I'm, but holy crap! I'm, I'm not even joking. Like it'll rip out his jugular. Um, if like it gets too like wound up, so yeah. you gotta calm it. But in the meantime, while also fighting race, yeah. And okay, uh, that was fine and everything. And then finally, like you bury the thing, and it comes back to life as a lubberkin, which is like the spirit that is bound to the blood of the of its of its parents, and mm-hmm. will like show you the way because you're trying to find. The main character, that character's wife and child who, like, ran away. Uh-huh. Um, and it's like, okay, well, I'm going to do that. And there's a lot of story involved. And I found myself, like, zoning out. <laughs> How can you and, zone out when there's zombies, stillborn babies, like, being carried by fathers who are going to be eaten by them? I mean, I wasn't zoning out during that part. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I found myself kind of just playing out the string a little bit. And I was like going, yeah, I'm playing this game. And why am I not getting anything out of this game? I, It was really bothering me mm-hmm. because like, I'm looking at this game. And I'm like, God, it's gorgeous. Combat's not too bad. I mean, it's not amazing, but yeah. it's still pretty solid. Um, there, It does a lot of really cool things like uh, the quest. There's no such thing as a throwaway quest in this game. Like... You will, like, it seems like every quest has its own kind of interesting story to it. Right. And it's, like, multiple parts. 
And it's just such a vast game. Um, and I can totally understand why people are like so in love with it. But I can't figure out why this game just can't seem to get its hooks in me. Is it uh, to do with the fact maybe you're not so big into open world games by the sounds of it? I like open world games. I mean, I love Skyrim. I love Fallout 4. It's funny that like uh, Skyrim, it's like I love Skyrim too, but it's so aimless. Uh, whereas I hear yeah. Witcher 3 is more focused. So that's interesting. Maybe it's the fact that it's focused that I don't like it. Like, that could be. Yeah, uh, maybe it's too focused. <laughs> a little too focused. You really got to hit a uh, a nice happy medium, apparently. I mean, like, if in so many respects, like Skyrim, or sorry, in so many respects, Witcher 3 is a better game than Fallout 4 in mm-hmm. the respect of the quests are more interesting, the story is better, the graphics are better. Um, it's truly amazing to ride around on your horse. Right. But there's just something that's not getting into me. And I think the reason is that it's so story-driven. Yeah. Um, You spend a lot of time watching cutscenes. You have to really be engaged with the narrative. And that's fine. But it kind of creates a remove for me because you're playing as, you know, Geralt. Mm -hmm. uh, Or as Mike and I call him, medieval Batman. (laughs) That's pretty much what he is. Yeah, and so I, I'm watching a novel essentially, like I'm watching yeah, or a TV that's, of show. Course, what he was like, he's a he's a comic character over in Poland. Yes, exactly. So I'm watching a TV show, exa- essentially. Mm-hmm. I don't watch a lot of TV. I know what you mean because I don't watch a lot of TV either. I, I find that uh, I just don't have the attention span for it. I don't know if it's an attention span thing or what, but like I'm in the middle of um, I'm actually very close to the end of Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. And I, the show's great, but so many people tell me that they can binge a show, like right. they can totally binge watch a show. I can't do that. No, I can't do that either, except I think I binged Gravity Falls and that was it. I kind of binged Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> <laughs> like a story can get its hooks into me, like um, where I'm just like, I have to know what happens next, mm-hmm. right? But it's comparatively rare. Yes. And I think the reason that Skyrim and Fallout 4 ultimately got their hooks in me more was because I created my own character and self-inserted. I was going to suggest maybe that's the other reason, because in those games, you can really project yourself into your characters. And not only that, but like, I mean, I've talked about this elsewhere on the podcast, but like in Fallout 4, I was, you know, building up a... I was building up, like, my own, like, settlements and everything and, Mm -hmm. like, kind of really putting my mark on the landscape. Mm -hmm. Whereas in Witcher 3, um, you are part of the world and you're, like, riding around through it and, you know, there's a lot of stuff to collect and you can forge new weapons and there's plenty of, I mean, there's some customization. Uh, Like, the mechanics are deep enough it's fine um but you're kind of riding through a movie set in a way yeah yeah i can see what you mean it's it's the same reason that i've never been able to get into grand theft auto Mm -hmm. in the respect that well aside from the fact that pretty much every one of those games is basically scarface which scarface the game it's like gangster stuff which is fine um and i get tired of just driving around in an open world so 
because the open world doesn't feel real to me because mm-hmm. I'm not really interacting with it in any meaningful way. Right. No, the Does only... this make sense to you? No, it makes sense to me. Uh, although the thing that sometimes holds me back in open worlds is motion sickness. Oh, so, yeah. Uh, you were saying that. Yeah, so it's really a crapshoot. Um, that's why I never really got into Grand Theft Auto because I played, it was three or four, and I just got really sick. And I said, no, forget it. Um, which is too bad because the one I was really interested in was Vice City because it was so 80s. Mm, actually, Vice City was the one I did manage to get into. Was it, yeah. That's why I, I, I would try. <laughs> I really liked Vice City um, because it was a lot more, I, I guess, focused. Um, and you spent a lot of time just driving around the city. And like sometimes if you get bored, you can do stuff like harass the cops and take them on a high-speed <laughs> case. And, and that was fun. And, and it really was just drag. Scarface. Yeah. I mean, that's what it was. Yeah. Um, I mean, the mechanics could get a little gnarly at times. Like the missions were stupid. Mm-hmm. And... Like, San Andreas was great, but then the missions were, like, got really hard and obnoxious, and, like, it was a pain even to get out of Los Santos. Yeah. And from that point on, and then GTA, like, veered off in a totally different direction, and I actually hated the characters in GTA Five, so, <laughs> so like, I hated them helpful. so much that I just couldn't engage with the game. I think I would have been able to engage with that game if I had been able to just create my own character and drop them in. Yeah. Which I guess you can do in GTA Online, but all the characters were so unlikable in their own way, which I understand that was what they were going for, yeah, but I couldn't identify with any of them. Yeah. No, like, I not even a little bit. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I just... I never even considered Grand Theft Auto Five for the same reason. It's just I didn't really like the characters. I didn't want to play as these people. And I understand they have their reasons, they have their motivations, they have their problems. But uh, you do your thing, I'll do mine. I think, and this is getting way off the rails, but I, I think it can speak to the broader point of video game storytelling, which is actually pretty important to an mm-hmm. RPG. Um, well, like Breaking Bad is kind of similar to GTA in that a lot of the characters in that show are anti-heroes. Like they're... They're very unlikable people. Yes. But even in that show, you can still find pretty sympathetic characters that you can kind of root for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Whereas I couldn't really root for anyone in GTA Five. Yeah. Now, sure. in Witcher 3, I mean, I think Geralt's a fairly sympathetic character, if a little hard-bitten. I mean, he's very much your hard-bitten uh, protagonist, uh, speaks in a gravelly voice, Um has kind of a cynical view of the world. Um, seems a little tragic. Yeah, because I know his uh, background isn't so happy. Um, and he's chasing after a former kind of a student slash protege of his. Um, mm-hmm. This really awesome girl who apparently who periodically appears in flashbacks. And I I always enjoy her scenes the most because she's so much fun and she's so much like a breath of fresh air. Mm-hmm. And if I were playing as her, like the entire game, I think I would be way more into it. That should be DLC. But I think that, the DLC is over, isn't it? Uh, yeah, but there were two gigantic expansion packs, mm-hmm. um, Hearts of Stone and Blood and Wine, which <laughs> I got to say, like that in light of the fact that I'm like having a hard time, like focusing enough to even get to like level 10 in this game (laughs) i i can't even imagine getting to the point of being able to do all of this expansion content yeah it's really bothering me though that i can't get into witcher 3 i wish i wish i liked it more 
Yeah, there's a lot of games sometimes you come across where you're like, I really wish I liked this more, because it deserves to be liked more, but I just can't do it. You know, like, so earlier this year, I played Dark Souls 3, and that game really got its hooks into me. Mm-hmm. And I think tonally, it's kind of somewhat similar to Witcher 3, but also very different. Mm-hmm. And I was reflecting on that. And I think there are a few reasons why Witcher, Dark Souls 3 ended up getting its hooks into me a lot more than Witcher 3. The story is really minimalist. Yeah. I like minimalist storytelling in, in RPGs or video games in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I It's a lot more mechanics focused than Witcher 3. Um, in terms of the weapons that you're going to use, how you develop your character, um, that kind of thing. Like, mm-hmm. so I spend a lot more time like thinking about what direction I'm going to go with my character and right. how I'm going to build up my stats. Yeah, Whereas in Witcher Three, it's almost like an afterthought. Mm-hmm. It's like periodically I level up and I'm like, oh, um, I guess I'll put a point here. <laughs> okay. And moving on. Moving on. Um, sometimes I get a sword. <laughs> and sometimes it's a better sword. <laughs> Whereas in like Dark Souls 3, you know, you get like this huge array of weapons, right? Yeah. Uh, so that can like dramatically impact your play style, which I find really compelling. Yeah, I can see where you're coming from. Um, so I think by the sounds of it, Witcher 3 is really just a lot more focused and zoned in, which is great if you're into that sort of thing. Because, Absolutely. frankly, that's the sort of thing I like from an RPG, but uh, I can see why someone else wouldn't. Yeah. And that actually made me think about, you know what? RPG, like, doesn't get nearly enough freaking credit, and it actually drives me kind of insane. What's that? Dragon Age Inquisition. Yeah, I was just actually wondering, like, what do you think of Dragon Age? Because Dragon Age kind of has a lot of what you seem to like. I played all three. Uh huh. I liked Dragon Age Origins quite a bit back in the day mm-hmm. because I, l- I love the idea of creating a character and playing out an origin story right. that impacted like the entirety of, of their story. And it had some really great dungeons, some really long freaking dungeons. Mm-hmm. And it was a lot more of the old school Bioware kind of approach. Yeah. It was basically an isometric RPG, um, but with a four player party. Uh, it, it was fun. It was it was old school, and it had a and it pl- it riffed a little too heavily on Lord of the Rings and Song of Ice and Fire. Uh, so but a lot of fantasy back then, yeah, like like Dragon Age has always had a problem with <laughs> having its own identity. Yeah, it's tried its best, but uh, I I feel like the world in, that it's rooted in isn't hugely interesting, mm-hmm. which it's is very... kind of its downfall. Yeah, it's very by the numbers. Not that it's bad by any means, just uh, not too surprising, but very comforting. Anyway, I was into Dragon Age Origins, and I think I might have told the story on the podcast before, but um, I did the guide for Dragon Age Origins mm-hmm. back um, back when I was at One Up, and when I just when I finished the guide, like. I played it nonstop for like two weeks before it came out on my crappy PC (laughs) where it was like a slideshow at times. But damn it, I finished that guide. Nice. And uh, one of the one of the doctors came in. Um, Greg, I can never pronounce his name. Seshik came in to do a Retronauts episode um, about Bioware. And then afterward, uh, we went out to dinner with him and like had sushi. Mm -hmm. And it was a lot of fun because... 
I was able, I had finished Dragon Age, so I was able to basically, like, sit there and talk to him about it, like, nice. for the entire night. And that was, like, super awesome and super rewarding. Um, it was one of my, kind of, my favorite memories of, uh, one of my favorite kind of memories of being in the press was just being able to talk to this, kind of this legend, you know. And in, a in, in game development, setting. just so casual in such a casual setting yeah. about a game that hadn't even come out yet, and obviously was so you know still so fresh on its mind. Yeah, and this was I think this was before Bioware was bought out by EA. Yeah. No, no, they had been bought out by EA by this point. Yeah, but yeah, that was when Bioware started to go downhill. Alas, because Dragon Age Two wasn't that great. But the um, uh, the latest one was pretty good, wasn't it? Inquisition. Yes. So Inquisition, I think one of the things that was really compelling to me was my favorite moment was when you went to a new area and you got the report from a scout, but and you would see some landmarks, but otherwise the map was dark. Mm-hmm. There was, and so you had to get on your horse, or in my case, battle moose. <laughs> oh, the battle mooses. And ride out into the wilderness and just explore. Mm-hmm. That's and pretty cool. That was awesome. Like I loved that, and and that made me enjoy the. It made me enjoy like just made me take in the scenery a lot more. Like mm-hmm. really made me a lot more engaged. And it was so much fun to kind of uncover the story of each individual zone. Yes. And a, a lot of people complained about the the combat in that game, and I, I guess that's a fair point. I think it's, it's it's definitely weaker than like almost any other RPG of that type. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a little bit shallow. Uh, like it, it was still fun. It was still fun, like building up a party and like switching between them. Like I, I thought it worked fairly well as a tactical party based RPG in a console setting. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's it's not amazing it's fine it's passable but i think the most compelling aspects of it are definitely were definitely the um the exploration and also like it had one of the best quests that i've ever done in an rpg which was the orlesian ball where you're both socializing like you're trying to be social and you're meeting like all trying to figure out like who uh the the this one killer is and you're trying to sneak away to, like, investigate the palace while also not being, like, without having the fact that you're missing go notice. So you have to, like, really hurry. Uh-huh. Oh, it was so good. It was such a well-done major quest. And it did such a phenomenal job of building up to, like, these really great set pieces. The conclusion was oh, just okay. Um, the conclusion wasn't amazing, all things mm-hmm. considered. But stuff like... um I forget what the Night Watch variant, uh, the variant of the Night Watch in um, uh, the Grey Wardens. Grey they're they're Wardens, just yeah. the Night Watch from <laughs> <laughs> from uh, from from Game of Thrones. But yeah, the Grey Wardens, like uh, like the the this big battle that involves the Grey Wardens, really, really, really good. Um, this whole like bit where you're fighting through. Um, the corrupted paladins um, up until you finally take their fortress and then you take control of it for your organization. Mm-hmm. That was really fun. Like, I-, I feel like so many people picked up 
Dragon Age Inquisition and were faced with this giant, rather boring starting area where mm-hmm. there were a lot of things to do, but they were mostly mostly fetch quests. Yeah, see, I, and I didn't, didn't really get into the meat of the game. I didn't pick it up because I said to people like I played the first Dragon Age and uh, I haven't played any of them since. And I said, uh, should I pick up Inquisition? And they said, oh no, not unless you play the other one. So it was one of those, you know, chase my own tail moments. I don't actually agree with that. Um, it's true. Like there's a major character from Origins who like has a fairly large role to play in Inquisition, mm-hmm. but. I don't actually think that it's that important because a lot of the background is detailed for you. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, it picks up straight from um, Dragon Age 2, but it's its own self-contained story with a new character. It's not like you're carrying over a character from the previous game. Like, each game has a new protagonist. Yeah, but usually when people say, oh, you should, uh, you know, you should play the other ones first, uh, I know it's, that's usually almost never required for most games, but I get so intimidated that at the thought of it that I just kind of freeze up. <laughs> I, I feel like Dragon Age Origins, um, well, they're such different games, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and each one is self-contained. Mm-hmm. And Dragon Age 2 is so flawed that I sort of feel like it's just in your best interest to pick up Inquisition. Right. That's a good I, there are people who will defend Dragon Age 2. I just strongly disagree with them. Uh, it was an ambitious and interesting game in its own res- in its own right, but it was so, so hampered by the fact that it was rushed out the door. Mm-hmm. Like, they weren't able to realize their ambitions. It was too bad. Yeah. It's funny, because they were like, we're the first RPG to be told over the course of, like, a 10-year period. And I'm like, Dragon Quest V was taken told over, like, yeah. a 25-year period. <laughs> gotta, you gotta give respect to Dragon Quest V, man. Anyone who doesn't means my fist. It just goes to show how myopic some, like, some people can be when it comes to developing their own RPG. It's like, yes. we were the first people to do this. Uh, no, no, you're you not. You probably weren't. Anyway, I'm, I'm not trying to say that Witcher 3 is better than Dragon Age Inquisition. Actually, I think they're very different games um, with their own relative merits. Mm-hmm. I, I just was reflecting on the fact that I liked Dragon Age Inquisition quite a bit, and it tends to be like written off by people like it was somehow a bad game. Right. When in actuality, it was really wasn't. It was actually a very good game, and you should go play it. Yeah, I should. There's, I'll put it on the pile. As for Witcher 3, I swear to God, I'm going to keep playing this game. It's going to get its hooks in me. You don't have to to force yourself to like something, Kat. (laughs) No, this game is good, and I'm going to appreciate it. All right, I Uh, I can respect that. It goes to show how hard our job is, though, because, like, if you're a movie critic, right, you Mm -hmm. can... You can sit down and you're like, I am going to watch the classics. I need to watch Casablanca. Like, I mean, obviously, that's a movie that every movie buff should watch. Okay, I've watched Casablanca. That took like an hour and a half. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to go watch, uh, I don't know, Fight Club now. I'm going to go watch um, uh, Vertigo. I'm going to go watch Citizen Kane. Like, these movies are doable. Like, even if you're not into them, they're only like an hour and a half, right? Yeah, exactly. I was on a flight back from... I was on a flight back from Scotland and I decided to watch From Russia with Love because I had never seen From Russia with Love. And I was so bored. <laughs> it was such a boring movie. I'm sorry, Bond fans. It, it was pretty boring. Yeah, it, was, it was a lot of James Bond going, women. Huh? Yeah, I'm not a Bond fan myself. And when I told that to an ex-friend of mine, who, uh, he said, oh, that's because they're not meant for women, the, the movies. It's like, yeah, we're ex-friends. So <laughs> that explains I, a lot. 
I, look, look, I can understand its individual merits, but personally, I found that movie quite boring. Yeah. If it had been like a 100-hour RPG, there's no way in hell I would have finished it. James Bond is an RPG. Oh my gosh, that would be a thing. That'd be kind of interesting thing. It would, actually. Actually, I think that um, I think that it was Obsidian that tried to do something similar to that, and the name escapes me, but they did a Secret Agent RPG, mm-hmm. which was actually kind of rad. Um, even if it was really buggy and had its own flaws, but yeah, um, yeah, no, it just goes to show like even a ten-hour game can be like just a bear to get through if it's not if you're not really enjoying it. Yeah. So, yeah, I will try to uh, get more into Witcher Three. Are you gonna pick up Witcher Three at any point? Uh, I'd really like to someday when I actually have the time. But uh, who has the time? Um. Not me. <laughs> Certainly not coming up. Um, I was using this as an opportunity to kind of get back into my backlog. but Yeah, but maybe once winter comes around and uh, we're done with the holiday rush. Yeah, maybe. On sale. Yeah, maybe. Maybe it's just not up to my taste. Oh, wow. getting kind of we're actually kind of running out of time a little bit but um i I feel like we should still address like kind of the backlash that pokemon go has been facing and we talked about this in the flagship podcast as well so i don't want to kind of rehash what mike and i talked about but um there was something interesting that you said in our slack channel and that was that you were kind of wondering like why like say the Pokemon company or Nintendo weren't taking more control of the series and having a greater hand in it because it sure seems like at times Niantic is in over their head. Yeah, I'm not even saying they should take control by any means. I'm saying that maybe Nintendo or the Pokemon company, uh, I know Game Freak has their hands full probably, but someone with experience should be giving Niantic some a couple of staff members, you know what I mean, just to kind of help pick up their tails because this is a the, Pokemon Go is a very very big thing and I understand that it grew, it kind of grew way beyond what anyone predicted even though it's Pokemon but um you can't keep having subpar performance and expecting people to be happy about it and being slow about your fixes I understand they're very small staff they're in over their heads uh but Nintendo and the Pokemon company you know even though they're not nearly as involved with the game their names are still attached to it Look what happened to Nintendo's stock when people thought, oh, they made Pokemon Go. And Nintendo's like, no, we didn't. And then the investors were like, oh, we're idiots. And <laughs> yes, you are. My first thought was, well, yeah, no, like my first thought were kind of along those lines. Like, well, I mean, it's a Pokemon game. And like it or not, this is like kind of tarnishing the brand, right? Mm-hmm, exactly. Uh, but at the same time, like Nintendo's Pokemon has had a ton of crappy spinoffs. True. I mean... Like nobody, who remembers Pokemon Ranger? I, I, I remember uh, or, they had bandanas. I, or Pokemon Ranger was a good idea that was un, under realized, I think, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't have minded playing a, a sequel to that one. Yeah, but or the Pokemon Trozy. 
oh yeah, that piece of garbage. But uh, the difference is nobody really. Hey, you Pikachu. Nobody played those. Uh, well, I mean, other yeah. than like the hardcore Pokemon fans, of course. But like Pokemon Go, no one, no one can stop talking about this damn game, and I, I love it. Don't get me wrong, but uh, if you just keep on shoveling like this subpar game in our faces, especially it's a lucky day when I can connect to the servers. Never mind, like you know, the the nonsense about the tracker and whatnot. Yeah. Oh, it's unfortunate, but I mean, I feel I, I kind of agree with you in the sense that this is the first time a lot of people are coming back to Pokemon. Exactly. Um, I feel like Pokemon has kind of remained in the zeitgeist over the past, I don't know, 15 years because a lot of people either grew up with it or they're still playing it now. Mm-hmm. And at a minimum, like they still know who the like the 150 monsters are. Yeah. Absolutely. So like they're coming back and they're going wow, Pokemon, this is great. And more than a few people I've seen have been like, oh, yeah, Pokemon, and then have gone and picked up the actual games. Yeah, and that's good too. Which, if that's what Pokemon Go ends up being, it's the game that bridges a lot of people back into the the actual series. Mm -hmm. Like, maybe it won't be so bad for the brand regardless. that that kind of, uh, that ties in Nintendo's philosophy with mobile, which is getting people back into, like, you know, their stuff through mobile, even though, of course, they didn't really have a hand in, in Go. But, uh, yeah, I, my heart really goes out to Niantic because, uh, as I said before, they're small. But one thing they really need to work on, too, is communication. And I think they're finally getting around to that. Yeah. If you, if one thing that I've learned is that if you don't have really strong communication with your base, uh, your fan base, they will get unruly really they quickly. They really will. And if nothing else, then Mighty Number no. 9 should teach people, teach developers that much. I know that, so this is kind of a totally different thing, but I used to play a lot of Star Trek Online. Mm-hmm. And Star Trek Online also had a pretty small staff running mm-hmm. it. And when you're like passionately into a game and you see you perceive these problems and you desperately want them to be fixed... And it doesn't feel like the development team hears you or seemingly cares. Exactly. And not only do they not seemingly not care, but they're they're like hitting on totally different things. Right, let me give you a different example. I uh, until yesterday I was a season ticket holder for the San Jose Earthquakes. Mm-hmm. I canceled my season tickets <gasps> um, because I didn't feel like I was being heard. Um, I I felt like. I found it pretty galling that they raised the ticket prices on me while also putting a kind of a subpar product on the field, not making the playoffs, and constantly trumpeting like BS I didn't care about, like stupid promotions um, mm-hmm. or like things that were like very market dri- marketing driven, but weren't actually impacting the team itself. Right. And it made them seem really tone deaf. And the, the price raise rise was kind of the final straw. And right. I think this can kind of apply to games as well. Uh, like Niantic comes off as extremely tone deaf right now. They really um, do. And I think it's, I don't think it's not that they care. Of course they care, but uh, they yeah. don't have the staff. I think they're only just getting around to hiring a community manager. Yeah, well, that's kind of on them, right? It I really mean, is. They should have... They should have had, I, I don't care if they didn't know that it was going to become a global phenomenon. Mm-hmm. You should at least have a community manager. You really you should, should especially prepared. since uh, hearing about it from other people. They were kind of the same way with uh, their support for um, Ingress. And, 
you know, if you should, that, if that's the case, then there's really no excuse to be to be slacking off of Pokemon Go. Yeah, I, I that's what I was going to say. This is not their first trip to the rodeo, exactly. right? Exactly. The, they've done they've done this before, and yeah. they had a really passionate community for Ingress as well. And so it's kind of stunning to me that like the very basics of community management seems to be kind of lost on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't get me wrong; like communities can be obnoxious and unruly in their own right. Yeah, but there's a certain there's a certain point there's a there's a point where you can cross the point of no return. It really is, and I don't think a lot of the demands people are making are are all that, um, you know, unreasonable. Uh, yeah, I, I think people are demanding that the game work. Yeah, I think that's fair. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'll be honest, I think that's I've, quite fair. Yeah, I've put money into Pokemon Go, and I'd like mm. it to not screw me over. Yeah, that would be a little nice, um, and and the fact that they respond like they like are killing fan made trackers mm-hmm. while also not addressing like actual like major bugs that are seriously impacting the 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 experience of the game yeah it's just a bad look for them it is i can kind of understand why they had to kill the third party trackers if it was putting any sort of strain on their servers they don't need that but um they were so slow about getting their reasons over to uh, us that you know by the point that by the time they did most people were already bitter about it but in the meantime, the new Pokemon's looking really good. Yeah, I'm I actually. Just, uh, yeah, what were we gonna say? <laughs> I'm actually pretty excited for Sun and Moon. Yeah, me too. Um, I'm really intrigued by these uh, these challenges that they're talking about. Uh, mm-hmm. You wrote? Did you write that up, or did Mike write that up? No, no Mike, Mike wrote, wrote that up. up. But uh, yeah, I I am looking forward to the challenges. They seem to be a, a replacement for the gyms, which is I think I've just, I've discussed on this podcast before about how I'd really like to see the the single player game shaken up for uh, for Pokemon. So this is a step in the right direction. I think I'm always happy when Pokemon does something a little outside the usual. Um, battles mm-hmm. so like one of my absolute favorite things in pokemon is the uh the contests uh from omega ruby and alpha sapphire <laughs> i remember those ah there's so much fun because like well first of all it is really well done mm-hmm. in terms of like building up your car- your monster's appeal and then like the little meta game that comes from like properly like manipulating the judges um so that you can win yeah and then earning ribbons like it's it's a departure from the usual grind of just battling and it's really clever really fun Mm -hmm. so that's kind of what i've wanted in general from pokemon there's another example is in black 2 and white 2 you can make movies with your monsters that's right i remember that that was fun and you're like following a script oh my god it's so much fun i love it like i love those that little mini game so it it heartens me to see that there are going to be kind of non-battle challenges with your monsters I'm in also, Sun and Moon. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, I'm also glad to see that they're seemingly getting rid of HMs, like for getting rid of stuff like, you know, boulders and, and trees and, and stuff that should have been gone <laughs> generations ago, like with the I ride mean, Pokemon. It was a gatekeeping device. It was a little clumsy of a gatekeeping device, but... Yeah. At the same time, like uh... it, it worked like as that, but like having to select it every single time you wanted to like get past a a tree, it was a little bit. I mean, annoying. it wasn't that big a deal. You just pressed A or whatever. Yeah. It wasn't like you had to go into the menu. You could just walk up to it, and your monster would automatically do their move. But yeah, like 
I, I can definitely see that it was a little clumsy, so I, I'm kind of okay with them getting rid of HMs. Yeah. I was playing. Um, I was actually playing the original Red and Blue. Uh, Red and Blue when I was on my vacation, mm-hmm. and uh, just the fact that you only have one technical machine, so you can have to like agonize over which monster is going to get that yeah. one move, and then also HMs like are permanent and can never be removed. How many people have a Charizard with cut? <laughs> Me. <laughs> I certainly, that was my first Charizard. Definitely had cut on it. What am I doing with it now? Nothing. Yeah, absolutely. Like, well, well, good. Um, and you're screwed because you can't breed in uh, the original Pokemon. Oh, that's so right. your starter is the only starter you're going to get. Yep. So if you put cut on that thing, you better <laughs> just restart. It's like a tw- not, it's like a tattoo. Not that Charizard's any good in that game anyway, but. Charizard's always good. But if you are feeling disgruntled with Pokemon Go and you want to play a different Pokemon game, well, Sun and Moon is looking pretty good, so you should pick that up. I agree. Alternatively, if you're looking for a different Pokemon game, might I recommend Pokemon Black 2 and White 2? It's actually really, really good. Those and even good though games. it's not the most recent generation, I uh, it's like definitely one of the best Pokemon games I've ever played. And uh, it's pretty cheap, I think. Like, you could probably get it for a reasonable price. Um, and you can play it on your 3DS because it's a DS game. I might actually be the only person in existence who actually really enjoyed X and Y. I liked X and Y. It was fun. Um, I I don't think it was anywhere near as good as Black 2 and White 2. Um, but I love the dress-up uh, mechanics. I love the, the, the trainer battle... Not the trainer battle music, the gym leader battle music. It's just like this amazing horrible but beautiful techno thing that i still adore and when you look at the it is completely like i don't remember it at all oh you gotta listen to it again sometime like because looking at the uh youtube comments for the the sound file itself is like a a divide between oh my god what is this and oh my god this is brilliant (laughs) the x x and y music um as i recall was pretty forgettable Mm -hmm. which was too bad um actually my favorite gym leader music is a tie between uh, oh i think i think actually they have like a lot of really good gym leader music through up through um black and white um mm-hmm. i liked in black and white that when you got down to their final monster it would switch over to yes. um a really fast version of the traditional theme music yes which like got you into it and you're like yeah let's do it let's do it um, my personal favorite theme uh, about gym leader music is actually from Diamond and Pearl. I don't even remember that. Oh yeah, it's it's super good, and m- maybe I'll play it a little. It's becoming a it's just becoming a music podcast. But <laughs> we should do if that I don't drop it into the podcast later for editing, um, you should go check it out on YouTube or something. But it's it 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 is kind of darker, mm-hmm. and it has like multiple. Um, has multiple movements and it's just interesting to listen to and it really gets you into the gym leader like into the it really gets you into the mood of fighting a gym leader and actually i think diamond and pearl has the best overall soundtrack diamond and pearl is probably the one pokemon game like i never really gave that much attention to i really should go back to it a lot of people kind of slag on that generation because it was slow Mm -hmm. like uh the battles kind of took forever to complete unfortunately which was too bad, but and a lot of people were saying that it was kind of a retread of Ruby and Sapphire, which right. is fair. But 
Um, that region is actually one of my favorites. Um, they made a lot of really smart improvements to the battle system that to the point where like it's still still might actually be my favorite pure battle system mm-hmm. in Pokemon. Um, because you had some really made it felt a little more balanced than right. later iterations, I suppose I should say. And um I uh had my favorite starter, which is uh Infernape. So <laughs> that was Chimchar, but, right? Yep. Uh, if you're going to play the most recent generation game, you should pick up Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire, which is actually better than X and Y, um, even if you can't dress up your characters. Yeah, those are. Though awesome. Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire kind of infuriated me because it didn't have any post-game content. Yeah, that was the one problem with it. It was too bad. Yeah, it was story-driven, but yep. the story wasn't actually that great. That's the, that's the problem, yeah. I still love that, like, Gruden comes out and he's like, Rah, I'm huge, I'm like Godzilla. And then your character like gets on his back and yeah. he's like, doot, doot, doot. he's <laughs> like giving you a little piggyback and he's like, oh, fine, whatever. <laughs> fine. Okay, I'm, I'm going. So for our final segment, uh, let's do uh, recommendations for lesser-known RPGs, which I solicited on Twitter. Uh, I was just kind of curious to see what people would come up with. And there were two RPGs that came up in particular um, that I was like, oh, yeah, no, those are definitely lesser-known and uh, definitely are kind of games that have a passionate following. One of them is Golden Sun. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that definitely yeah. has a very passionate following. I, I know several fans of that game. Did you play it? I played it, but I didn't really get too far in it. It, it just didn't, talking about, or going back to our earlier topic, it didn't really sink its hooks into me, but uh, I very much appreciated its its existence in that point in time. It was a GBA game. Exactly. Um, it was GBA RPG. Um, in hindsight, it actually had pretty good graphics. It had yeah. kind of... Um, it, like the the battle scenes were were from the back. Mm-hmm. It wasn't top down or anything. Yes, and it had kind of this faux three D thing going on. Yeah, it was definitely a very interesting project. Um, that was a Camelot, wasn't it? Yes, it was Camelot. Yeah, so they know what they're doing. They they've done good stuff. And not only that, it ends on a cliffhanger. Was there so, Golden Sun two? Yeah, and then Golden Sun two resolved it. Mm-hmm. Wow, um, resolution. Yeah, so there was a, it was a two-parter, which was an interesting move on their part. And then there's also Golden Sun for the DS. That's right. Which also kind of flew under the radar. Uh, I think, oh God, I wish I could check right now. I'm, I'm kind of curious to see if it's on the Wii U. I don't think it is. No, I don't think it is. Which is too bad. But um, if it is, if, if it's not, it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you know, there's another one that came up actually quite a bit. And that was Lufia 2. I have been meaning to play that for the longest time, and I, I have not gotten around to it, and I'm so mad at myself about that. Did you ever play the PSP one? I guess not. No. Huh? I, the I remake had, wasn't very good. I had a PSP, but I never played it. The PSP remake like turned it into an action RPG. Oh, fun. 
um, more of a traditional action RPG, but at Space Captain Zemo said, Lufia 2 for the SNES, great music, a dynamic cast of characters, puzzles, capsule monster system, limit breaks. And then, of course, there was the uh, the Ancient Cave, which was like this really long, really, really long dungeon, <laughs> which is kind of the uh, that game's calling card. Long dungeons? Uh, very much so. Well, I mean, just like this super in-depth, hard-to-beat dungeon, mm-hmm. but... Yeah, uh, Lufia 2 did actually kind of fly under the radar. I'm kind of wondering why that is. Maybe because it didn't come from like one of the biggies like Square Enix? Yeah, that could be. Um, I do remember uh, being kind of interested in it, but then I read a review in GamePro saying, oh, this game's not so good. And I was like, uh, okay, forget it. <laughs> so that was probably a mistake. Yeah. It did not um, get the exploding heads. I guess not. Oh, and Golden Sun is on the Wii U. Oh, oh, okay. You know, maybe was it recent? Because maybe I thought I heard people talking about the game again for that reason. Yeah, you can have it for eight bucks. Hey, hmm. yeah, you should. So yeah, you should go give it another go. It's actually, uh, I, I feel like Earthbound kind of overshadowed it when it came out on the Wii U. But, yeah, maybe that's what happened. But Golden Sun is still a very worthwhile R- sixteen-bit RPG. Um, at Ray Beetall is Legend of Legaea, a lesser-known RPG. My nostalgia for that entire era doesn't let me have a real understanding of popularity yeah, yeah i'd say legend of Legay is a pretty uh kind of a lesser known rpg yeah it's lesser known all right um all i know is and i'm gonna maybe i'll get mauled for this but i hated that game so much was that <laughs> i just found it so boring i hated the characters um i hated the boss fights which went on forever um music was nice but uh i remember i got someone broke into our apartment and they stole a whole bunch of games they stole Suikin and two, they stole Breath of Fire three. They stole the original, my original Castlevania Symphony of the Night, and my original Cas- my original Final Fantasy seven. They freaking left Legend of Legaea. I was so mad. <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't even take Legend of Legaea. That's take incredible. Legend of Legaea. They clearly have tasting games. <laughs> Apparently, whoever they were, because they sure took some good ones. Apparently so. Um, at Chocho Camacho, uh, maybe not less known, but less talked about. Front Mission three. Amazingly came with two different stories, like Fire Emblem Fates, but in one package. I never played a fun, uh, front mission game. Great series that I got into because it was sold to me as Final Fantasy Tactics, but with mechs. Yeah. Not great comparison, but sad to see the series die. I can agree with that. Did So, Front Mission was a Square Enix game, interestingly enough. It was, enough. yeah. Um, so, are you familiar with it? It, it never got a, a lot of play over here. Um, if I, I don't think the original PlayStation game even ever came out here, but I know that the PlayStation 2 version did. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, it it kind of flew under the radar. And then when Square Enix was in there like, well, we have to like hand off our, our franchises to Western developers phase, they handed off Front Mission to um, a, a startup, which was a pretty bad startup and they <laughs> turned it into front mission evolved which was a freaking terrible oh, mech action game yes i remember now uh oh my God, i never played the, just i never awful. played the classic games but i do remember seeing them like in like japanese previews in uh magazines and whatnot because i remember how interesting it was to have these mechs like interspace interfaced with uh yoshitaka mano's artwork mm. so that always just caught my attention yeah, it's a shame that Front Mission ended up dying. I actually had somebody on Twitter, and maybe it was the same person, saying, 
that we need to talk more about Front Mission, but alas, um, I don't have a ton of experience with that yeah, series. Yeah, I'm afraid I, I can't say much. Uh, sorry. Outside of the uh, the PS2 version, but um, it's a little bit lesser known, but people who love that series really love it. Mm-hmm. So they should absolutely play it. Um, at Sean on, Shana, Sean on Games, Secret of Evermore, Jeremy Soul's arcane soundtrack accompanies a journey through a land, strange land with magic based on alchemy. The Secret of Evermore. Um, I feel like that was a little underrated on the Super Nintendo. I would have, I would love to see that game come on Virtual Console because I have a funny story about that. I was like, I poured over the previews for that game because I was like on my Final Fantasy VI kick, and when I heard that, oh, Square's making another RPG, I was like, holy moly, got to keep my eye on this, and I did. But uh, then it got delayed um, into November because it was supposed to be in September of 1995. And Chrono Trigger came out at that same time, and I only had money for one. And I said, uh, I really want a new game. So even though I actually hadn't really kept my eye on Chrono Trigger, I said, uh, I'm going to go with Chrono Trigger. And then by the time Illusion of God, uh, sorry, um, uh, Secret of Evermore came out, I just wasn't interested in it. Hmm, that's but too bad. looking back at it, um, it looks like it was flawed, but definitely had potential. So, um... At Hero with Amnesia, I think you would appreciate this one, um, Nadia. Mm-hmm. Breath of Fire 5, unique RPG that reveals more story and repeated attempts. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, it's a it's a great game. I was actually just talking to a friend of, of mine about that. Um, I've, I've said before on this podcast that I found it too intimidating to really sit back and enjoy as much as I enjoyed, like, 3. But one thing I will say, that soundtrack, holy moly, I, I adore it. I'll just sit there and I'll put it on while I write. All right. So um, I'm, I would like to keep this going, actually. So do me a favor. Send me an email at cat.bailey at usgamer.net or PM me over on our US Gamer messaging system or send us a message on Facebook over at US Gamer and tell me what is an RPG. Like, make your pitch. Make your pitch for a lesser known RPG. Mm-hmm. I really want you... I, I really want to know, like, why do you love these games? Unfortunately, Twitter is not... <laughs> <laughs> the best uh, venue for this. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I'm encouraging you to go a little deeper, and we will read these on a future episode. Um, by the way, uh, a little bit of headline news. Um, this is, might just be a rumor, but uh, the market for computer and video games, which, by the way, um, I don't want to slag on other sites, but take them with a grain of salt, <laughs> are supposedly saying that Pokemon might headline an NX Dream lineup and I was just thinking, ah, uh, I was just thinking of the article that I wrote um, last week. Yeah, they, which they was read saying that Pokemon said, could be the killer app for the NX. Yeah, they read your article and said, "Wow, that's a good idea," and they got right to making a Pokemon game right then and there. Yeah, so uh, you should go check that out. Um, I I really do think that Pokemon and Monster Hunter could be a really solid addition to the NX. And I'm not saying that it's going to push it over the top, but it certainly helps. Yeah, it'll certainly not hurt. I mean, Pokemon's practically a annual franchise at this point, so having it on your console um, might actually be good. I, I think that it, it certainly hasn't helped that uh, the GameCube and the Wii and the Wii U have not had a mainline Pokemon game mm-hmm. in like its entire history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but okay, so next week um we're gonna be talking a bit more about uh well we got a whole bunch of games coming out soon deus ex is coming out soon 
Um, Super Robot Wars OG Moon Dwellers is going to be in the mail. Um, come on, come tomorrow. Oh boy. I'm going to be playing that. Um, I'm trying to get Austin Walker onto the podcast so that we can talk about it. But um, he's extremely busy because he's the EIC over at Vice Games now, which makes him extremely busy. <laughs> so uh, I can understand that if he doesn't have time to come on the show, but I really want to come on the show. So you should go like poke him on Twitter and be like, Austin, next, go on the show. Talk about week, Super Robot Wars. Yeah, next week will be perfect because I'm going to be on vacation. Oh, you're going to be on vacation? Cool. Gonna Where are you going? Going to Otakon in Baltimore. Yeah, well, that's a vacation. You can go hang out with Mike, who is also at Otakon. He works them. He works. He works his butt. Yeah. So we're not going to see each other, unfortunately. Mike is the power behind Otakon. He really you is. Know. Like, it's actually really remarkable, um, the, the amount the of work that he does it. He's the uh, the king of otaku. <laughs> you <laughs> have him over on US Gamer. Yeah, he's very quiet about it, but he is. All right. US uh, Acts of the Blood God it can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play now, um, iHeartRadio, and various other our um, podcast outlets um please follow me on twitter at the underscore catbot follow nadia on twitter at nadia oxford uh, i wish i could have had bob on the podcast to talk about his cover story um he did a really cool cover story on localization mm-hmm. uh localization horror stories actually and quite a few classic rpgs actually get brought up um the mother three fan translation is mentioned um he has a interview with Alexander O. Smith, who did uh, Final Fantasy X, and has some really great insight into Titus's laugh. <laughs> yes, yes, and where it came from. Uh, so you, I, I'm not going to spoil where it came from. You should totally go check out that article. It's really good. It's on the on the main site. Um, Nadia, do you have anything to pitch right now? Uh, I'm actually going to be uh, mostly focusing on guides for a little while, so uh, my writing on uh, U.S. Gamer might be a little more sparse for a while. But uh, alas, <laughs> are you cheering with the fact that? <laughs> no, I said alas. Oh, I thought you said yes. I know, I said alas. Oh, okay, yeah. We, we love your insight, Nadia, and you do such a great job. Aww, so that's good like, we definitely want you to be on editorial as much as humanly possible. Well, I'll definitely find time to, to pen things once in a while, and of course, I'll still be on From Us to You and the podcast. Uh, for now, though, I, I still have my own site, tinygirltinygames.com, where I recently wrote a thing about Pokemon Go, and I hope you go and check it out and, and let me know what you think. It's a really good site, and you should totally go to it. Yeah, man. Um, and if you haven't been following our streams um, at twitch.tv slash usgamernet, um, we've been doing a lot of streams, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, N- Jeremy is doing a countdown, a Super Nintendo anniversary countdown, uh, where he's countdown, counting down favorite Super Nintendo games via stream. And he's done ActRaiser. And he is also doing, oh gosh, I can't remember the other game um, off the top of my head. ActRaiser is a good one, though. ActRaiser is great. And he also did a Metroid long play, um, which was pretty rad. And Mike also streamed a bit of the Telltale Batman game. Oh, and I beat Ninja Gaiden on our stream just I not too long it. ago. I'm very proud of that myself for good. that. Yes, I did it. I mean, sure, okay, yeah, I didn't make it. I didn't speed run it and break a record and do it without getting hit. But darn it, I did it. You did it. I can't do it. So I'm you like go. you people. I, I'm not like that. I'm not like these inhuman people. I'm you're, just like you. You're the common man, common woman. Or the common woman. <laughs> In any case. Uh, so, yeah, we'll be back next week. 
Um, in the meantime, for Nadia and myself, thanks for listening. And until next time, happy adventuring. Thank you.